Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Treehouse, episode 41. Inchworm, Inchworm, with Danny Baker and me, Louise Pepper. And a very good morning to everybody. Here we go again with another three hours of fun for old and young without the slightest hint of vulgarity. And uh, uh, preparing, there's a couple of minutes of preparing, not in terms of what are we going to say, is there, Peps? No, it's just catching up, really. Settled into our little um, uh, little places we have to record these days. I'm in a record room. Peps is literally in a cupboard doing this. (laughs) Literally. But that's all right. Everyone's aware of just found an Easter egg, as I showed you. uh, The the, the slapstick, the Mr. Pastry style slapstick of me trying to get in here. I've got all the things I've written down, what I never get round to, uh, uh, all the things that happened on this day. And I was trying to plug in headphones at the back of a microphone, a tiny little desk. I've got this upside down box uh, as a a side desk. And I realized that I was actually living my dream because when I was about 10 peps, I could think of nothing better than living on a submarine. (laughs) I think this is what it must be like living (laughs) in a submarine. A vinyl submarine. It is, exactly. Everywhere I go, move me over, I touch stuff and this. So I'm going to look at it as I did as as a 10-year-old. Anyway, here we go again. Uh, And before I do, let's let's shake it up, perhaps. Let's shake it up. What are we doing today? What are we actually, I know. Hang on. (laughs) I'm begging. Let's think about a rehearsal one time. But what are we actually doing? Number one. What have you buried? Incorporating treasure maps. Anything you've ever found buried or buried yourself. Number two, are you a bit psychic? Hmm. Number three, it happened while swimming. And number four, the most ridiculous question you've ever had to ask. Well, there you go. That's uh, just, that's just the latest additions to an agenda that goes back over 40 shows now. Yes. Over 40 shows. All the subjects remain open, if you haven't heard us before. Uh, but uh, normally at the beginning, I get distracted by something that I, I believe won't otherwise be highlighted by uh, the mainstream media, the lamestream media. <laughs> Uh, and uh, there's a couple of couple of things today. You, you got your John Stetson, who was born in 18. 18- oh. Of, of course. Of, yeah, OK. The, the hat fame. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, John Stetson was son of Stephen Stetson, who was also a hat maker. And, and John Stetson, stay with this again, everyone. The show starts in a second. John Stetson uh, got tuberculosis when he was about 18, and he was told he only had, like, two years. And so he thought, you know what? 
I'm going to get out of the hat business and just, I want to see the West where the pioneers are these days. And, you know, he wanted to get out there and have a look at what everyone was talking about was happening over in the West of America. So off he went and he said, that's it. I've renounced my life uh, in hats. But he, he got off, let's say, I don't know, in Dodge City. <laughs> he got off the train and he just looked at the headwear of what everyone was wearing. He just thought, oh, just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. <laughs> they were, I, and I was reading this today. They were wearing, cowboys used to wear fur hats, white straw hats and captain's hats. <laughs> oh, now. <laughs> I was, I thought, John Wayne in a captain's hat would have well, been a vision. I, I posted on Twitter a photo of myself at uh, nine years old wearing one. I didn't know that was the spirit, the rugged wild, wild frontier spirit. They wore captain's hats. And he thought, all these hats are useless, particularly the fur ones. Mm. And, and he writes about being in, in a bar and cowboy after cowboy come in in a drenched fur hat with rivulets of water running down the And he thought, well, I want to I wanna do something new, but honestly, fellas, I could help you with this whole headwear thing. This is absolutely true. And so uh, he designed, he said, what it needs to do, and I wrote this down, so forgive me here in my submarine here, clattering around. Uh, he thought it needs to be durable, and it, it needs to be uh, of a lightweight kind of um, uh, non-absorbent waterproof felt. That'll do. Uh, it has to have a wide brim to keep the sun off them because it, and it, obviously the rain as well as it running down their foreheads. It should operate like an umbrella, he said, and it should provide a bucket in the crown. The crown should be deep enough so you can water your horse. You can fill it with water and give a horse a drink. What's well, and that's why he became John Stetson of the Stetson Hat. And they really were. Uh, the, the, initially, they were advertised as the boss of the planes. And later, the hat that won the West. So how about that? You don't see that in any film. Cowboys coming in soaked with a fur hat on that's making it all run down their face. And I'm face. picturing it like a bearskin. Well, if, if, you, if, you, if you look at the group Cream around 1966, <laughs> they, they did a lot of that. Ginger Baker and Jack Bruce loved the big fur hats. And, but again, they were invoking the true spirit of the Cowboys. The only other thing, there are... Uh, oh, Oliver Pollock. We, the show starts any second now. Oliver Pollock uh, invented the dollar sign, right? Uh, he, yeah, big, invest, big investor in the American Revolution and borrowed. There's nothing great left to invent, is there? No, no. Isn't but that he, a brilliant thing to say you designed the dollar sign? He designed the dollar sign because he um, uh, was, was an Irishman, lived in America, and thought during the American Revolution, I'm going to back the American side against the British because the Irishman, he had a thing against the British anyway. So he uh, said, we can't have the British currency. So he borrowed a lot of billions from uh, Mexico and everywhere, pesos and in Spanish money. And when he was writing in his ledger uh, how much it was, he took the word peso and just shortened it to a P with an S over it. So that and that became the dollar sign. How about that? Oh. Oliver Pollock. It was only after his death, and he, he didn't die uh, with very much money, that it was adopted. But they saw his letters and used to write a P with an S on top of it. Uh, and the uh, bucket of the P got took away, and there is your dollar sign. And that, I think, is plenty, plenty to fight back against oh, hey. the mainstream media. Who won't bring you those stories? They bury those stories because, they, they, as they often say, if you're not frightened, we're not doing our job. So... Yeah, I don't know whether I'd rather have invented the Stetson or the dollar sign. I don't know which. I think the dollar Dang. sign edges it. 
at the Peps. How about a big Stetson with a dollar sign on it? <laughs> I bet there's plenty of those. <laughs> By the way, Stetson did used to put in gold print inside every single one of their hats. This is a Stetson hat. By the way, of course, he didn't die of tuberculosis either. He recovered from that. But I, I would like to have thought you were sitting there saying, no, resist, take no notice of their headwear. No, don't, don't get Dad's voice out of your head. Don't start designing hats. <laughs> And he did. <laughs> I imagine it's like being a hairdresser and just walking yeah. Oh yeah. and going, no, 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 no. no, no. no I, Excuse me, you know, I, I don't know if hairdressers would do that, do they? Uh, hairdressers, please let us know. Uh, correspondent Sharon's a hairdresser. Whether they have a pair of scissors in their bag at all time and sitting in a restaurant saying, excuse me, don't... Uh, uh, won't take just five minutes. Minute. One second. <laughs> Well, uh, uh, give us something from over there, Peps, and we'll, uh, we'll let the audience take over. Well, this is uh, this is a ludic- ludicrous question he ha- I have been asked. This is from Jim, slight, slight variant. In 1978, stood on platform 19, platform 19 at Victoria Station, I was wearing a buffet car steward's uniform. Blue jacket, red lapels, bright red waistcoat, black trousers, <laughs> bright red stripes, patent leather shoes, and a gold name badge. An American. Excuse me, sir, do you work here? <laughs> <laughs> I often I don't know, asked. in 1978, you could have been mistaken for a member of... Uh, oh, perhaps, I don't know. Band the, name the, here. The skids. Uh, but I I, I, um, uh, I I always get asked in, in well-heeled West End shops, where, you know, I've been known to frequent, um, uh, where things are. I don't know why, not because I look like floor staff, but I look like I've come to like the boiler. <laughs> I might look like I might know the layout of the shop. The amount of people go, excuse me, you don't know where the, you know, are you open? I don't work here. I don't, it's a well-to-do shop. Look at me. I look like uh, someone who's delivered something and knows the premises. Uh, here's a, and I believe this. Wendy, when I told her this, because I shouted over my shoulder when this came in, and I apologise, I haven't got a name with this. There's no name attached to it. Uh, I, I shouted over my shoulder. There's somebody got in touch and said they were trying to open a, a business bank account with an ethical bank. But apparently when you do this, they want to know more about you than you about them, the old ethical bank. Anyway, and the questions were going on and on and on. And our correspondent reached the end of the tether and thought, sod it, I'll go to Lloyd's, when was asked a question. Um, uh, one more question. Have you, do you think you've ever done anything that might have endangered one of the great apes? Apparently that was the question. I'm sorry, you know, um, an orangutan or a gorilla, do you think you ever contributed to their misery? <laughs> I only want to deposit 50 quid, mate. <laughs> Might have had a ready meal with some palm oil in. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Actually, you see, now now we're going to now we'll get correspondence. But uh, so yes, that was a particularly uh, I, I think dopey question. <laughs> I don't I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I bought some pineapple chunks. I didn't look at the sauce. It always feels silly on a plane to America, where they have you engaged in any acts of terrorism and are you carrying? Yes. I know. Have you now got? You see that we used. See, here's the. Thing. Here's the trouble here. Before, as somebody once said, we descend giggling into the sea. Uh, uh, the the um, the point is, it used to read, have you got any infectious diseases and all this? Oh, yes, I've got the plague. Can't do that no more. That'll be like saying bomb as you go through security, Ooh. won't it? You can't do that no more. Something else, perhaps. This is from, um, where is it? Nick Fletcher. This is names similar to a double act. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, see, I, yeah, I'm not sure we've asked that. A few but... shows ago, we did say, have you ever met anyone with a similar name to yourself or even exactly the same name? And quite rightly, the audience take this clay and from it, you know, make these beautiful Etruscan vases by warping and weaving it. So it's well, names a bit like a double act. Yes. Well, Nick, well, actually, funny enough, Nick kind of gets the name thing in, in, in his PS. But first, okay. my godmother is my mum's best friend from school. She is called Laurel. She married a man called Derek Harding, and her middle name is Anne. My godparents are Laurel and Harding. How about that? That, that, thank you, thank you, Laurel and Harding. Harding. Uh, the best we've had since the uh, the Reverend Father Chris Moss got in touch with us. But that, that absolutely. Laurel and Harding. Uh, uh, his P.S. is that his boss, who hailed from Glasgow, was Colin Mackay, who took great pleasure in shouting Fletcher to me at any given opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope we can. It's given us a double there. Uh, you know, these shows are nothing but um, froth and irrelevance at the best of times, but I hope we can continue today's particularly shallow, low watermark. <laughs> uh, this, I'm, I'm only reading this out, it's from Gary in Rochdale. And uh, uh, I read this aghast, and this is purely me talking to Gary. The rest of you can take a walk around the block if you like while I talk to Gary. Uh, and it refers to our Friday game of the Vinyl Golden Shot we play, mm. uh, where we have people on the line and they uh, direct me to blindly direct me to take albums out of my uh, uh, collection here. And we add them up how much they're worth. And, you know, we've got Mark, we anyway, here on Fridays. Uh, but he had no idea that records had worth. Can you imagine someone? You know, no, I know, I know. I think. Bless him. I, I know, I've never, I've never climbed Everest, uh, and I know it's very busy up there. But on a lonely peak in the Himalayas, I would suspect I could get to the top. Perhaps I'd find a guru sitting cross-legged, uh, with you know miles away, and looking for enlightenment. And he would see, he would see a, a, a copy of Penny Lane in my rucksack, and go. <laughs> Still got a picture sleeve. He was still. <laughs> he, would, he would say that. To his always, if you still got a picture sleeve, I've got a picture sleeve. Don't worry about that, Guru. Anyway, but our correspondent uh, had no idea, and he says, since since the introduction of your golden shot game, I feel. It, with shame, I have to write in. In 2008, my father passed away, and a few months later, my mum asked me to come round and help her throw away all his old stuff. Oh, I oh, know. She announced one weekend that the skip had arrived, and I went round with oh. my two boys, and we started to clamber around in the loft to clear it out. We came across Dad's album collection. We thought it was just a load of old records. Oh, had God. about 100, and all in mint condition from his time in the 60s and 70s. Beatles, Stones, Bowie, Kinks, every Pink Floyd record. We thought, you know, they're not worth anything. <gasps> Twelve years later, imagine my shock listening to your game, and I heard you say oh, you could give a woman £175 for a record she picked. I didn't tell me, Mum, but the story doesn't end there. The next morning, my mum opened the curtains to find a BMW outside and a very smart man in a suit leaning into the skip. My mum went out and said, what do you think you're doing? He said, could he have the records? And she told him to bugger off. No, he couldn't. Probably thinking he would come back later, but unfortunately, uh, an hour later, the company came and took the skip away. I can only oh. presume Dad's pride and joys ended up in the landfill. Every time you announce the value of a record, it's like a punch in the stomach. Yours, with some shame, Gary from Rochdale. Now, that... It is, you know, yes, of course. I can see even you've got your hands over your face. Oh, there. God. Um, two things. Uh, I wasn't driving a BMW and smartly dressed. <laughs> I asked, I knocked first. Uh, but he, Gary said, it, when I heard his £175 per record, he thought, oh, what about Dad's record? Well, he says in the body of that uh, letter, he had every Pink Floyd record they did, mint condition. 
Now I'm talking to Gary now. Oh. Gary, sit down, Gary. Gary, get you to sit down and move away from anything breakable. Gary, if your dad really did have every Pink Floyd record and he had the very first album, say, The Piper at the Gates of Dawn uh, and in mint condition, Gary, if you want to go on to Discogs, the uh, website that lists the value of records and has them for sale, there is a mint condition copy of Piper at the Gates of Dawn on there, currently for sale for three and a half thousand pounds. Oh, God. Three and a half thousand pounds a copy of that the, the, the follow-ups uh, source are full of secrets mint condition copy will get it's about 1200 pounds so just those two albums just those two albums my friend 4700 pounds <laughs> the rest of them wherever the landfill they're in are moldering away now like a cowboy's hat then uh, uh that that's the truth so yeah piper at the gates of dawn mint condition three and a half thousand pounds currently so thank you for your correspondence gary i'm here i'm <laughs> just if you thought oh, the other punch in the stomach i know i know well my story of a similar thing is, is well trod but another time i'll tell that uh, something from you peps this is from uh, kerry rose rayner and this is school punishments mm-hmm. hiya the punishment you read out in the most recent show about a boy being made to wear a girl's hat at his school reminded me <laughs> of my school <laughs> I also went to an all-girls convent school in the 60s and our hats were grey berets with a tassel on the back. The berets were awful in so many ways. I mean, they were ugly for a start and people would think it hilarious to pull them off by grabbing the tassel you can't put a tassel behind you on the hat. bus. <laughs> there was no corporal punishment at the convent. We had the usual standing in corners, etc. I love the usual standing in corners because that's the Catholic default, as we've discovered. But the ultimate punishment for a heinous crime was the cutting off of your tassel by the head nun. It would happen in assembly. The disgraced girl would be called onto stage by the nun, beret in hand. The crime was announced. The scissors would be produced from the nun's pocket and the tassel hacked off. The girl would then suffer the humiliation of a bare beret for the rest of term. <laughs> I don't know. I, I th- don't you think that'd be a, a badge of honour? Be for you, gang. yes. You can only join this gang if you've had your, you know, your, your berry snipped, if that's the phrase I want. Only one girl had her tassel cut off when I was there. <laughs> She'd been doing handstands at a bus stop after school and showed her knickers. <laughs> A spiteful, self-righteous member of the public phoned the school and reported her. Public shame and humiliation seems to be commonplace in a convent school, says But I don't know. That's a tremendous uh, piece of information there ever was. uh, A a hat that I've never heard of a beret with a tassel before. But uh, (laughs) I'd say that that's not the... uh, It's a terrible punishment, I suppose, if if, if, uh, psychologically in the school that's what it means and only one girl had it. But having your tassel cut off, that against the old, you know, some of the old... Doing handstands and showing your knickers, that's a real badge of (laughs) honour. I know, and getting grasped up by someone as they went. Uh, this is a. Uh, this, this is. Have you ever inadvertently injured one of your parents? <laughs> it, 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 yeah. Okay. We'll just go over that. Uh, Paul says. I was about eight years old. Uh, this would be around 1977. It was snowing, and my dad set to work building a sledge. He did an excellent job. It had steel runners and was very rapid. We took it to Twattledown Racecourse near Fleet for a test run. Dad lies on the sledge on his belly and starts down the slope. I decided to join him by leaping onto his back. 
Now, this was not supposed to be part of the test run and caught him totally by surprise. We started to really pick up speed and the front of the sledge began to plow through the snow. It wasn't designed to be a two-up. This was not a duo machine. All of a sudden, it stopped dead. The momentum caused my dad to shoot off the front of the sledge and continue down the slope, impressively at a speed, and I remained even more impressively on his back. With no steering, we careered into a tree. Dad lay there motionless, a little blood coming from a head wound, knocked out. Mum caught us up. I turned to her and said, I think Dad's dead. He wasn't, of course, but that was the end of father and son sledging. <laughs> that image, that image of the sledge stopping and the old man <laughs> bolting off the front of it. <laughs> now he can't stop. And impressively, as Paul says, he remained on his back. Oh, where, where, is, where is your Beatles about camera to see that? Is it, is it too cutesy to do tales of sledging in May? No, no, no. I think there's a rich theme there. Uh, no, because uh, the, uh, as we record this, this weekend, uh, the snow is supposed to come a hurtling back, isn't it? <laughs> yes, isn't it? Like, oh, oh. Yeah, the snow, temperature snow. halves on Sunday or something. It is. No, it is. It, no, it is. It's going to snow at the weekend, but people forget it often snows in May. But, uh, uh, but anyway, if you're listening to this in the year 2016. Oh, 2016. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that future is going to be <laughs> I often tell people I'm, I, I'm constantly shocked it's not 1965 <laughs> and I thought of a futuristic date <laughs> and 2016 suddenly I thought wow yeah what will we all be doing <laughs> I'll give you something, uh, something else from over this side oh this um, uh, was from the other week when we were doing the world's greatest sandwich peps oh. or what people consider to be and I might have said because um, uh, somebody brought me a, a, a dear friend Joe brought us around uh, she'd been to Billingsgate Market and queued up at Billingsgate Market and brought back uh, various shellfish including a lovely tub of winkles um, uh, yes indeed uh, she brought back a tub of winkles and uh, because you know I enjoy them but the most mm. labour intensive sandwich in the world is a winkle sandwich it, 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 you reap we used to go better. winkling at Pegwell Bay. Yeah, winkling is still uh, and, and eating winkles singly with a pin is a well and good bit. The time invested in a winkle sandwich, right? <laughs> it's only worth it because a winkle sandwich is the greatest sandwich in the world. Yeah. It takes about 45 minutes, and I'm not joking. About 45 minutes, ordinary bread and butter, thickly buttered, and you have to line them up uh, like troops uh, to half and then fold it over them. But it takes so long. But uh, as anyone who's ever had a Winkle sandwich, dash of vinegar on it will tell you that, that, yeah, you, get, you get what you pay for it, that is your craft. Uh, anyway, uh, so we asked what do you consider to be the world's greatest sandwich. And this, and I'll be absolutely honest with this, it's from uh, uh, Mark in, in America, and he's in Newton, Massachusetts, by the look of it. And, and, and it's, it's not uh, uh, it's not like the previous email, which is all fun and games. This is a pretty straightforward report on his favourite sandwich. Oh, okay. And the more it went on, the more I thought this fella's this fella this was his favourite sandwich. It meanders, but that's fine. You know, the show's free. We ain't going anywhere. Is it covered in log flume water? Because that's our oh, high barometer. Thought it was dirty. Polonian pickle in dirty log flume. Soaked in log flume, but that was by accident. That was, say, the uh, uh, discovery of that. But uh, this is from Mark, and he says. <laughs> 
I didn't re even realise what the, this was about till halfway through, which is, <laughs> which is what people think when they come across this show, I think. Anyway, I was just listening to your last show where you mentioned that peacocks are more fierce than turkeys. Now, that doesn't suggest he's going to get... <laughs> I don't even remember us saying that. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. That, but there was something about... I don't know, who knows? Uh, so let's start again. We're having a good time, aren't we? But <laughs> just listening to your last show where you mentioned that peacocks are more fierce than turkeys. Well, don't talk to me about turkeys. I once had to square up to one that was making eyes at my beer. Anyway, that's not what I wanted to say. I'm currently living in Newton, Massachusetts, formerly home to Matt LeBlanc, the world-renowned washed-up bassist and successful jug player Fritz Richmond and Ralph Waldo Emerson's mother. The city also gave its name to the Fig Newton, in a oh. previous life, I lived and worked in Austria. Stay on this. It's like this is, this is like riding on the back of your dad going down a snowy hillside <laughs> at 75 miles an hour. Okay. Uh, he's giving us the old switcheroo here. He's palming the coin on us. <laughs> one out of the other, peps. So, where are we now? Oh, yes. He lives in a place that Mutt LeBlanc was born where the Fig Newton was, but he used to live in Austria. Aha, here we go. One Christmas, I was journeying home to be with my family in England when, on my way to the train station, I decided to grab a bite to eat. Now, across the way, I spotted a place that sold warm local sandwiches. Now, these sandwiches are called the Labour Kaiser, which, despite translating to liver cheese, contain neither liver nor cheese. If you want one of those, you have to purchase the Kaiser Kaiser, which I did and it came in a toasted roll with gherkins and red sauce. Now, the Labour Kaiser is best described as a mix between liver sausage and meatloaf, and it's served piping hot. On board my train, I took one bite of the sandwich and came to realise I would never find a better sandwich in all my life. So loud was my moan of contentment that a gentleman across the way looked at my Labour Kaiser and smiled. He asked where I'd got it. The place at this station, I said. Opposite the spa, he said. Yes, that one. Ah, he said. Wonderful, isn't it? With the wonderful mustard. No, I, I didn't have the mustard. I've just got red sauce on this. The sudden look of horror and disappointment in his face crushed me, and we both spent the rest of the journey in total silence until he got off at a small village without so much as an Alvidazane, just a filthy look. Regardless, I spent the next 10 days telling everyone about this wonderful creation, the Leberkauser Berkaiser, which cannot be found outside of southern Germany. Even Austria or the German-speaking parts of Switzerland don't have it. Honestly, it doesn't need mustard. Mark, in Newton, Massachusetts. Now, that was some right. There's also a PS, I forgot. There's a PS. PS, remind me to tell you the story about how I was once chased down a hill in Switzerland by a herd of mad cows while I was carrying a fridge. <laughs> well, that's another letter for another time, and we'll look forward to that. But that, that, was, that really was a, a, a wild ride, wasn't it? I was waiting for him to go back and try it with the mustard. No, 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 no. 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 no he perfected it, but uh, he obviously ran up against the fellows who took that sandwich very seriously. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for that, Mark. Something from you, Peps. Well, but talking of cows, we'll do this quick one, and then I think we need to go for a break. OK. Um, <laughs> this is from... Mark. We've got a phone call in the second half, everyone. A phone call. Yes, a, a person. This is Mark. how reduced the world has come, become now. It's like, it's like it's 1861. I shall be speaking remotely to somebody I have never met 
Observe my hands. There are no wires. We will be bringing in a third voice. Stand by, everyone. Stand by. Sorry, perhaps off you go. What this? I mean, just as an opening sentence, Mark. Back in the nineties, our regular barn owl surveyor. Oh. And a regular barn owl surveyor. Uh, sorry, the subject is what have you been chased by? Yeah. Our regular barn owl surveyor, Colin, was carrying a ladder through a herd of cattle in Yalding. Yalding, Yalding. Yalding, yeah. Yalding. In order to check the owl box in the adjacent field, the cows were unused to this sort of intrusion and decided to gang up on him and charge. Hugh Collin legging it across the field, hotly pursued by four heifers. Mm. Now, this is actually a pretty dangerous position to be in. We've heard of this before, haven't we? Mm. And as he approached the fence, could hear the pounding hooves behind and knew they would catch him. Worse followed as the poached ground grabbed tight on his wellies, trapping him prone to the ground. <laughs> he feared the worse. Then two upside-down flying heifers sailed over his head oh. and landed on their backs just the other side of him. Their momentum had caused them to flip after their front legs also got stuck in the mud. Oh. He lived to tell the tale of back some owls. What was, that, what was that film called? Hurricane, whirlwind. What was it called? A tornado. The, 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 that's when the cow goes flying through the air, wasn't it? <laughs> With the woman from uh, you know, um, the, the, the sitcom, Helen Hunt. I really like Helen Hunt. But uh, I'm starting, I'm starting, that story's previous email of mine is infecting me. I do <laughs> zigzags all over the place. Cows flew through the air. Blue. Yeah, well, uh, thank you very much indeed. As, as, as Pep's advertised, uh, we are now going to take a, a very short break and we're going to be back with uh, what I believe a lot of you have read about, a phone call. A phone call. We'll be right back. Also from something else. Mel Gedroich is quilting. Listen to Mel and good friend Andy Bush as they learn a great new skill and tell some brilliant stories all whilst having some good, wholesome fun. In a nutshell, I took a pair of scissors and I went into my husband's wardrobe. Now, this comes from a shirt that I bought him that I know he doesn't like. So I'm testing him by... Uh, uh, This is brilliant. (laughs) Yeah, by finding out when he discovers that the shirt has got a big patch out of the back of it. Wow, and which area of the shirt is this taken from? Bottom right. Okay. (laughs) Listen now in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all good podcast apps. Good morning everybody, it's the Danny Baker Show Radiating out across the airwaves Come the sunshine or the rain, come aboard the Danny train We'll kick our slippers off and throw our cares away What better thing to do than have a jolly jape or two Don't touch that dial, there's nowhere else to go Come and join a happy session, wave ta-ta to the recession on the Danny Baker Show. Take it away, Danny. And after, you know, what seemed like a thousand years, there's only a couple of minutes. Uh, we, we are back, and I can tell you, everybody, uh, stand down, because we, we do have a phone call. <gasps> I know everyone's been keeping those fingers crossed. We get a phone call, and this is a brave new world, Pebs. Uh, to be honest, we've never had good luck with phone calls. No, I mean, again... The sausage I, I, sandwich I, game always ended. I, I, always, yes, it did. Yes, we still have to the, uh, the might of the BBC, which I'm still, you know, uh, my back is broad. I can still say the might of the BBC. Whenever we used to do a sausage sandwich game, either they'd be like, oh, I can keep it down. Or suddenly Claire through the glass, they're gone. 
Thank they've you. gone. They've gone. Drop off the air, but uh, it's just something that can't. It, 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 here we are, though. Thank you for something else. We've invested over a hundred thousand pounds in a new switchboard just so we can talk to people like our good friend Alan. Alan's coming, isn't he? Hey, Alan. Stay quiet deliberately, though. I'm sorry about that. No, that's all right. I I appreciated that pregnancy. (laughs) After just saying, (laughs) it is. It is genuinely. I've been broadcasting a long time, Alan, and it is genuinely pathetic. How every time a phone call comes in, my heart still goes into my mouth. Honestly. This is not. This is not what Alexander Graham Bell had in mind when he legged it down the patent office. Uh, thank you for joining us, there, Alan. Uh, uh, welcome aboard the Treehouse, and uh, uh, you're our inaugural caller since the world collapsed. Uh, oh, what have you got for us, Alan? What are you going to tell us? Uh, well, uh, my story. Uh, actually, I, I was I was the, the the person that wrote in about the the dead cat the other the other um, day. So, uh, oh, you buried the wrong cat. Yes, you yes. buried the wrong cat. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's, it hasn't come up thankfully. So uh, that's cemetery style. You, you so. found a cat as as you, as you said, as stiff as a cricket bat. And you yes, that's the one. <laughs> oh. Uh, well, again, I won't labour the story. People can go back a few episodes and find out that poignant and yet, in some ways, uplifting tale. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Alan, Alan, what have you got for us this time? Well, it was on your subject of um, fortune-telling, uh, clairvoyance-type thing. So, oh, uh, well, OK. We're, we're going to get a good change of music here for going. Let me just ask you something, Alan. Uh, yeah. And I know you rang in to tell us about fortune-telling cats or, or, or something like that. I wasn't keeping up. Uh, but um, uh, uh, today is the birthday of, of John Stetson, who gave us the Stetson hat. And I, I, I've been, uh, I told the story earlier on in the show. But since then, in the back of my mind, uh, I've wondered if, if people in history, famous people in history, got the bumps on their birthday. Because I don't How old are you, Alan? 51. You, you used to get the bumps as a kid, did you, on your birthday? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's vanished. It, I mean, it's, it's it's gone. Like um, oh, I don't know, like smallpox or the or the uh, or the telecommunication system. It's all gone. Uh, but uh, uh, I was having to say to somebody of the age of ten the other day what it was, and they looked as if it was the most horrific thing in the world. Oh, I still, I still, it's why it's one of my favourite sort of dad jokes I make at any birthday I am at. Go on. When everyone finishes singing Happy Birthday, I go bumps. And of course, oh, why wouldn't you? But uh, now <laughs> it's going to it's going to pass into history like, oh, because people are going to say uh, for people who don't know what we're talking about. And I cannot imagine, given the demographic of this show, that anyone doesn't. Alan, what do you understand by the term bumps? Well, it's just when your when your bum got hit on the ground. I thought it was that that was the bump a bit. Well, I've that's the boys. That's, that's the boys' version, hitting on the ground, just supposed yeah. to keep people elevated. Yeah. Or people take Hoist an arm and a leg and, th- and wave you up and down. Uh, to and to the number of your birthday. To the yeah. number of no, but yeah. beyond that, of course, you say one for luck, two, two for, luck, for luck, three for the old man's coconut. But uh, uh, but boys, as you went up, used to kick you in the back and rear end as you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you used to get a break. Yeah. 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 And, and, and let you hit the ground and everything. But uh, uh, anyway, Alan, stop dragging me into archaic old school well, rituals. It's, it's, uh, it's, my, it's my niece's birthday. She she's locked down with my my, my brother. So uh, I must I'll suggest that for her later on this afternoon. How old is she? Uh, five. <laughs> 
including the additional <laughs> leather jacket, golf club, and the cash that was in the drawer, right? So, I said I don't extend the call any further, but uh, uh, my dad's mate Wally Shaw used to sit around the, the part of the table around the Jolly Gardeners. If anyone came in, because burglars were real and imagined uh, on the estate, and anyone who came in said, uh, do you remember old, um, uh, you know, uh, Joey Knight got broken into last night? Without looking up from his playing cards, Wally would go, time to earn? <laughs> time to earn. <laughs> got broken in, what a straight one. All time to earn, that is. So continue, my friend, continue. So one one of the things that was stolen was a, this, this is crucial to the story, is was a bottle of wine that I had got in France at one stage, but it was a big, tall, blue bottle, and it was like, it's too nice to drink. I'll just, uh, I never drunk it, I just used it. It was, an, it was just a nice-looking bottle, and I have it sitting on the windowsill <laughs> in my bedroom. <laughs> You didn't, didn't run into a eating a Kaiser Bauer sandwich on a train at any point. <laughs> no. <laughs> so there you got your bottle of wine. Never. T- okay, go on. So whoever went, had been upstairs taking this bottle and it was sitting in my backyard. So so this, but there was a clean set of fingerprints. The, 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 the police actually took the bottle away and... Uh, because it was such a good set of prints they wanted to, and I just thought, hey, up there, these guys are just going to drink this wine. I'm never seeing this bottle again. So, the, <laughs> so that was fair enough. About a few days later, my very good friend, Chris, who reads tarot cards for a living. That's the he, reads, he reads the tarot, does he? He does tarot cards, yes. And he had heard through the grapevine that I got burgled, and he, he called around. And he says, uh, whereabouts was it? Whereabouts did the guy go? I went, well, he was in the kitchen, blah, blah, all different places. And he says, uh, is there one place you definitely knew he was? He says, well, he was definitely in the bedroom because that's where the bottle of wine. So he went, right. Mm-hmm. So from his pocket, he pulled out this packet of playing, or not playing cards, but it was tarot cards. And I'm not too sure which particular card it was, but he stuck it to the wall with a bit of blue tack and he put a crystal on the shelf and he says, We'll catch him. And I'm looking at him going, what? <laughs> <laughs> now, Chris is a good mate. And I, I'm very I'm very cynical when it comes to these things because he... Uh... No, 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 no. no, no. You, you, you see, you've expressed a certain jaundice with the way society works, and I sympathise with a lot of that. <laughs> I know that when it comes to good, honest coppering, putting a tarot card on the wall and looking at it through, a, through, through the prism of a crystal is just about as good as having, you know, the mounted police after you. I'm not, I'm not cynical at all. Continue. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he, he did read tarot cards for some friends of mine in, in the past. And, uh, you know, he, he, he was quite accurate, actually, with a couple of predictions, you know. Um, uh, but I think he did, did my then girlfriend, who became my wife, and then my ex-wife, was, uh, <laughs> he said, we would argue a lot. <laughs> See that coming? <laughs> he, no, hang on. I know this is a long call and people are saying, well, uh, but can I just say, this fella's got the gift. He told you when you were getting married, you will argue a lot. And sure enough, <laughs> this fella, his Nostradamus is air. He told you you're going to have a lot of rares. So he, he looked at it and, and did his prediction come true, Alan? Yeah, it did. To be fair, it did. Very, oh, very in what way? In what way? Well, we argued a lot. 
that. No, I'm talking, no. About, the, I'm talking about the tarot card on the wall, man. <laughs> we're, oh, we're in the right. fourth dimension oh, here, not coronation street. Oh, the intricacies of your divorce. Oh, God. <laughs> anyway, right. So, yeah. <laughs> about a week or so later, I get a knock at the door. Mm-hmm. Plain clothes policeman with a briefcase. He, can I come in? Yeah, no problem. Sitting down, having a chat, and he says, We've we we, we we caught this guy, so we did. And I'm going, yeah. okay, right. And he from his briefcase, he gave me the bottle of wine back. It was like bonus, yeah. happy day. Got my wine back. Yeah. This is great. And he then says, "There's just a couple of pointers." The guy that they arrested said that he did not steal a leather jacket, a set of golf clubs. So you're saying that your friend and his crystal and his tarot card was instrumental in getting the the, the felon's collar felt. Given the fact. Given the fact that the, the forensic guard said we will never catch this person ever, that yeah, yeah I was you know a once cynical Al was turned into a very yeah okay. Oh, well, that's yeah. a beautiful story, Al, and just because we're running into show forty-two now, I'm going to have to lose you there. But it's beautifully told, and thank you, my friend. Thank you, thank Alan. you very much. And oh, it's a tremendous story. That, 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 thank you. That even. Cast Bye. iron cynics would look and say, "Well, that, that's the tarot card that did that." You might I thought he was going to say he was found with a tarot card stuck to his back. The, it, I thought it was going to be the actual tarot card reader. I thought there was going to be a twist at the end, but do you know what? Uh, anyone could have said, uh, "They'll catch him without the use of the pack and the crystal." I think you could just say that. But you know, if our friend believes that's what brought it all back to him, then then then, that, then that's fine. The only, it's, you see, you're not a fortune teller kind of tarot card kind of woman. No, no, I've never done that. But I, I am, and I, and I will, as you can probably hear, uh, declare hooey when I hear it. And yet, I always feel a bit weird about a tarot pack. I don't know how they work, but no, I, I've, I've handled them. Yeah. But I thought, I'm not going to cut this deck because I don't know, it's, it's, apparently the grave digger means long life or something. But I just don't, I, I've seen too many tales of the unexpected. The tarot cards, I won't mess around in, even though I believe they were invented to order in about 1902. They're not very old. Oh. They're not ancient oh, at all. Oh, you're going to upset all our tarot card playing listeners now. I'll, ups- I'll upset our previous correspondent about his record collection. If you've got the single, the theme to the show Tarot, the <laughs> Ace of Wands show uh, in 1969 by Andrew Bound, if you got that, it's about 250 quid. Just the single of the theme from the show Tarot. Give us something over there, Peps. Well, th- this one's a bit long. I'll, I'll save that for <laughs> the right. time. The show's about a day and a half long already. Long. Oh, man. Um, uh, we'll go... I, I would suggest, I would suggest that uh, you hold that. I would yeah. suggest hold that it, uh, and it's and it's a a, a, a p and a d we um Pippin the Dandy? No, what do you Pippin the Dandy, yeah, it is. Okay. I'll tell you what I'll do. Give us a palate cleanser while you sort of short one out. Uh, this is from Phil. Uh, this is Have You Ever Injured a Parent? Palate cleanser after all going into the fourth dimension. <laughs> In a classic reversal of the old, you hold that still, and when I nod me head, you hit it routine, <laughs> I recall striking the old man with a hammer. I was in control of the hammer, and he was trying to get the radiator cap off the old Morris Marina. He told me to give the cap a whack with the hammer to loosen it up. Always eager to help, I took a big backswing, hit the bonnet, 
released the prop holding the bonnet up and watched as it came crashing down on his nut. <laughs> lots, lots of effing and blinding and cries of, me head, me bastard head. I was sacked on the spot. <laughs> That's beautiful. That's right out of some mothers to heaven. Swung back, knocked the prop, down comes bonnet right on dad's head. Uh, give us something, peps. This is from uh, Prizes You Didn't Want, says Carl. This is uh, from many weeks ago. Yeah, good. While catching up on the podcast during lockdown, the subject of prizes you didn't want took me back to my school days. Like many stories on this topic, we find ourselves at the school fair. On this occasion, both my brother and I discovered a previously hidden talent from one of the stalls. My brother could repeatedly succeed at landing a penny on a £5 note at the bottom of a tank of water. Oh, brilliant. That's not one I've ever had to do before. It's a great game. I might try that on Wilbur this afternoon. I'm running out of things. (laughs) You know, um, uh, uh, because now they're waterproof. It's £5 notes like a Mm. cowboy's hat or Mr Stetson's hat. You, You can feed a horse with them. I think that's it. But you drop a penny, an old penny, into water of course it sways from side to side it's very difficult go on so my pe- my brother repeat succeeded a penny on the five pound note while i was excelling on the tin hoopla store mm. wooden hoops settling over the tins at a will as a result to much to the bemusement of our parents we brought home eight goldfish despite not having fish tank or pond and 22 tins of food Wow. Which, with hindsight, had clearly been dredged from the back of all the other parents' cupboards as last-minute offerings. While I can't remember the contents of the tins, after a hasty purchase of a tank, the three fish my brother was allowed to keep lived for many years. Oh, well, lovely. Regularly went to visit the others in his friend's pond. Because you always see kids walking down the street with goldfish in little oh, clear in bag. bags. Uh, but the, the, but the, uh, of those games, the three darts in three separate cards was really hard. Mm. Because you know, them stalls weren't big and you've got your three darts, throwing them into... It's just very difficult. Two and then the third one between them. Why was that? I don't know. But very difficult. But not as impossible, perhaps, as when they've got all the little goldfish bowls on those uh, wooden cubes and you have to try and get a ping pong, ping pong ball into one. It just, you can't do that. You can't do that. You throw a ping pong ball, you've got little tiny goldfish bowls, and it just goes ping pong, 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 and drops down the back. You'd think it's the easiest thing in the world. And those old, you know, for the suckers and the rubes out there, they're just uh, at the fairground, they would absolutely mesmerise me. And I mentioned the other week when you put a, a, a meat skewer down a straw and took out a, a raffle ticket at the end. That was another hard one. We seem to be going all over the place, perhaps, don't we? And we've seen this particular show more than ever has been a, a long and meandering roots. I don't know if you've got anything you want to say in in, in, in summing up. No. No, me neither. That's plenty, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> if only the whole show was as succinct as that. So, run the theme tune there, Phil. One, two, three, four. Climb up, go in, let's cozy down. Wave goodbye to that silly frown as we chase our cares away. In the The fire's on, it's warm inside We guarantee you'll be satisfied As we laugh the day away In the tree Take it away, Danny! Always do, Wisby. So this has been a particularly uh, 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 highways and byways one. This has not been the most concentrated show we've ever done, but I hoped it amused. Thanks to Louise Pepper on the other side of town there, to Phil Wilding who's been trying to make sense of it and now got to reduce this to some coherent mass and to everybody (laughs) over there at Something Else for giving us the platform. But as always, chiefly yourselves. I'll see you Saturday. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.